2: Watch what you eat, especially if you're white. Every now and then, I think it's a good idea to apologize for being white, and I guess today is one of those days. I'm deeply sorry, but uh, just, every, just yesterday, Joe Biden, who is probably going to announce his candidacy for president any minute now, uh, felt the need to kind of apologize for being white.
0: white man's culture got
2: to change it's got to change it's got to change you got to stop eating the way you're eating if you're white of course i don't know about other groups but white is definitely a problem now he didn't apologize yesterday for being a man but uh, i'm sure he's going to get around to that maybe he'll pick uh caitlin jenner as his running mate sometime soon but uh, if you're white shame on you for what you eat you're uh, ruining the planet the Journal of Industrial Ecology did the research, and I have it—the uh, story right here. The story of uh, how white people are ruining the planet. Okay, now it's—it all comes down to your diet. It's—it's it's all in what you eat, and um, the—the that's potatoes. It's uh, beef. It's um, milk. Milk's a big problem because, you know, cows have to drink a lot of water to produce a lot of milk. And white people apparently drink a lot of milk. So that uh, causes a need for, I don't know, a lot of water. So that's, that's a problem. Um, and the report, it takes an in-depth look at what different demographic populations eat. And it says here, the food pipeline, which includes its production, distri- distribution, and waste, contributes significantly significantly to climate change through the production of greenhouse gases and requires significant amounts of water and land, which also has environmental effects. Now, this is all done by Joe Bozeman. He's a student at the University of Illinois. came up with this. Uh, if we are to draft policies related to food. They can't be one-size-fits-all policies because different populations have different eating patterns which have their own unique impacts on the environment. Now, you remember that uh, I think it was Alexandria overrated uh, Cortez who said a few weeks ago that uh, we should stop eating meat. Um, and apparently the the big the, the violator, when it comes to eating meat, the violators are uh, white people. And so it's white the fa- fault of white people that we only have uh, 12 years left to live, according to um, uh, Alexandria. It says here, the researchers found that the food habits of white people... Require about seven percent more water at three hundred and twenty-eight thousand liters per year when Latinx. uh, That's another. This is a new word. I I haven't seen this Latinx. L a t i n x. Uh, I guess you're not allowed to say Latino anymore, so you say Latinx because I I don't know. But uh, I'm 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 slow catching up to that. But. Latinx individuals whose food habits require 307,000 liters per year of water, while blacks eating habits depend on about uh, 12% more land than other populations, which Bozeman says is driven in part by their higher consumption of chicken and apples, which are high land-use food items. Whites tend to drink more water and milk. Milk itself requires a lot of water to produce when you consider livestock cultivation. So that is part of what we think is pushing their water impacts higher. People are actually running around doing this, deciding which group to blame for how they eat and how that affects the environment. If that's not enough to make you puke, that should make you... Not, but should ruin your appetite, and if you do eat, it should make you want to throw up. When we come back, we're going to have an interesting discussion about getting that uh, free college education and how what a dumb idea that is. Stick around. Yeah, okay, I want to tell you about a movie that you should go see. I'm a, I'm a big movie guy, and uh, I go to a lot of movies. And and uh, one of the best movies I saw. Last year, I think it was last year, and the last year was Hidden Figures, and it uh, starred Taraji P. Henson, and it's uh, she's played a woman who um, helped NASA get to the moon with her mathematical skills well she's one of the stars of this movie the best of enemies and it comes out on april 5th and uh, another reason why i like the other movie that uh taraji p henson was in was it's a true story and i like true stories this is a true story untold story it's about a relationship and later a friendship to develop between an activist and atwater played by uh, taraji henson and cp ellis who they they had to get together to figure out a way to uh, integrate the schools in North Carolina back in the early 70s. The only problem was C.P., was uh, one of the big guys with the Ku Klux Klan. Wasn't a big fan of black people, so that's the, uh, that's the story. And they ended up forming a tremendous friendship and making tremendous progress with the, uh, the uh, interga- integration of the schools down there. So it's a good movie. You should go see April 5th, The Best of Enemies. Make sure you go see it. Let me know how you feel about it. There
1: has been a lack of clean water, a lack of food.
2: Angel Aloma, he's the executive director for Food for the Poor. So
1: people are are already living in this type of squalor and then all of a sudden the protests and the tire burning.
2: I'm John Steigerwald and your business could be the answer to saving lives today. More in a moment.
1: Basically, food is completely short, water is completely short, and once they start drinking that contaminated water, it's really troublesome, particularly for the children whose immune system is already
2: compromised. Become a business benefit factor with the answer today you make a twelve hundred dollar tax deductible gift to food for the poor and we'll give you twelve hundred dollars in free prime time advertising for your business this year we don't get a dime of the money one hundred percent goes to food for the poor to meet this immediate need your gift will feed nearly four families for a year and provide water for life call 412-937-1500 412-937-1500 or give online at theanswerpgh.com do it now offer ends march 31st Why get stuck with a Medicare plan that leaves you at a disadvantage? Medicare open enrollment season has been extended through March 31st. This is John Steigerwald. Take advantage of your final opportunity this year to make a one time switch to real Medicare coverage that includes traditional Medicare Part B and the Part D prescription drug plan. The team at Marley Financial knows Medicare is confusing. They know you have questions and their team of experts can guide you through all the options available to help you make the best choice possible. A comprehensive Medicare plan that lets you access any doctor or hospital you want without referral with lower deductibles and co-pays that are little to none a medicare plan that's focused not just on cost but quality don't get stuck paying thousands and out-of-pocket expenses call marley financial today 724-884-1496 deadline is march 31st that's 724-884-1496
3: 724-884-1496 or visit marleyfg.com Many people today think the Bible, the most influential book in world history, is not only outdated, but also irrelevant, irrational, and even immoral. Dennis Prager here. I've written a book, The Rational Bible, Genesis to prove otherwise. My new book demonstrates clearly and powerfully that the Bible remains profoundly relevant both for the great issues of our day and in each of our lives. The Rational Bible Genesis comes out this May and I want to invite you to join me for an exclusive pre-launch event for my book on May 6th in Orlando, Florida. That will be the first day it will be available to the public. Get your tickets today. Be part of a full day celebration with me and our partners at TBN. Come and be part of the studio audience for the taping and live broadcast of my radio show after the broadcast, I'll discuss my new book, answer your questions, and you'll get a signed copy of The Rational Bible Genesis. Join me in Orlando on May 6th. Get your tickets today when you visit my website, DennisPrager.com, and click on the Rational Bible banner. See you in Orlando.
2: This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Well, there are plenty of lunatics out there running around calling for college to be free for everybody. And some of them are running for the Democrat nomination for president. And if you took a survey among millennials, you'd probably find that most of them think that their college loan debt should be wiped out. Well, maybe it's time that colleges did a better job of showing kids what kind of success its graduates are having after spending all that money. Beth Akers is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and the author of a book called Game of Loans, The Rhetoric and Reality of College Debt. She wrote a piece about that today. and She joins us now. Beth, thanks for being here. Sure. Thank you for having me. So in your piece, you say that the Trump administration issued a directive along with its executive order about free speech. uh, I guess it was earlier this week uh, on campuses that uh, that it will improve transparency in the education market. Can you explain what that is?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So we operate under the premise that students are out there shopping for college, picking you know which is the best place to spend their money based on what value they think they're going to get in the long run. And for the vast majority of students, according to surveys, what they care about is income. Yet we have almost no information available to them as they shop for their colleges about how various institutions have served their previous students when it comes to putting them into um, jobs that get pay. And so what the what came along with the executive order on free speech, when, which is I think lost a little bit underneath that headline was the Trump administration is proposing um, actually advancing an initiative that was started under the Obama administration, which would make available data for students to look at when they're shopping for college that would tell you by nature, by institution, what previous students are now earning um, 5 and 20 years out of school.
2: That seems like a pretty sensible concept. I mean, when you're paying $50,000, $60,000 a year now to send your kid to a college. Um, it might be and, and as you say the, the people can say they want to go there just to become better people but they go there to get a job that's going to pay them well uh, It might be a good yeah. idea to find out how much how often that happens when they come out of there with a 180 thousand dollar bill
4: I mean honestly it's sort of absurd that we've allowed the higher ed marketplace to exist without this information and I think part of the reason is that we just have this, belief that education is the golden picket um, the institutions are these benevolent actors and for the most part I think they are trying to do a good thing um, but they lie like to say they're not immune to incentives and right now they don't have the incentive to produce results on the dimensions that students care about because we're not measuring and publishing this information so I think it's a huge step forward for helping students Make better choices about where to spend their dollars, but also, you know, allow the marketplace to work so that institutions and majors who are not providing a good return for their spending either have to answer by shutting their doors or by lowering their costs. So what that they're offering to students is actually a reasonable deal.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't think you'd need the government or anybody else to tell you that majoring in gender studies might not get you a high-paying job, you know, right out of school. Um, so
4: yeah, Yeah, I think that's right.
2: I mean, uh, you see these uh, some of the majors that are out there now, and the and the schools brag about them as though that's it's mm-hmm. wonderful that they're offering this. It'd be fine if they were if if kids were going there for free, but uh, you know, there's, they're not getting any return on their money for stuff like that, are they?
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I'm not going to say that there aren't social returns to us, you know, having people study those sorts of disciplines that don't have a payoff in the labor market. But what our system is doing right now is saying you know, here, here's a free access to a huge line of credit so that you can borrow your own future money to pay for this degree, but we're not going to tell you what other students are now experiencing after gone through, gone through it financially. And so, you know, it's a fine thing to say that this is something that's good for society and therefore we want people to do it, but then we have to actually put money behind it in the form of grants. And let's make that all explicit so that people know what they're signing up for.
2: Right. And, and what did you find out about, How what a kid majors in in college has an effect on what kind of job he or she gets after graduation.
4: Sure. So there's definitely a trend that STEM majors, science, technology, math, um, on general, they're making higher wages than folks who are in the humanities. The specifics vary, of course, by major and also by institution. You hear a lot of times people talking about um, investment banks, consulting firms, hiring folks out of English departments or out of performing arts. That's definitely a true, true, but it tends to be more true coming out of elite institutions. Um, but it's a message that's trickled down to cover the entire industry, and I think it's kind of deceiving about uh, what the reality is for those majors. So the data is really important. Uh, people, I think, will be surprised to see um, where are some of the pathways that are not as, as lucrative or not even necessarily lucrative, but financially stable, right? I'm not saying that everybody needs to pick the major that leads to the highest paycheck. Um, but it certainly needs to lead to a paycheck it 's going to enable them to pay back the amount that they 're borrowing to pay for the degree
2: we 're talking to beth Akers. she 's senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and author uh, of a game a game of loans, the Rhetoric and Reality of Student Debt. This is a big thing, uh, obviously because um, the uh, presidential election is coming up, and the uh, the Democrats are out there running around talking about. Well, they want free college tuition for one thing, but they but they want uh, student debt eliminated. Um, and, but I don't hear them or see them talking a lot about uh, or raising questions about why the colleges are charging so much money and why the mm-hmm. why the tuition uh, has increased at a rate so much quicker than inflation over the last I don't know pick a number of years, ten or fifteen years. Sure, sure.
4: So you know on. On the, um, the issue of inflation, I think it, there's a lot of questions that we should be asking of the institutions, but I think um, the first place I'd like to look is why is it that people are not able to police this market with where they're choosing to spend their dollars, right? We have a quasi-market in higher ed. The government spends a lot of money, but people spend a lot of their own money, too. And so any other marketplace, we'd expect that people will keep prices in line with value by just choosing where to enroll, but we've got this very weird system where there's no transparency at all so that students don't really have the ability to do that. It's not that they're not smart enough or they're not trying hard enough, but I was just on a campus yesterday talking to some students, and one of them said to me, you know, how am I supposed to be a really savvy shopper for college when I apply months and months in advance and then only get this financial aid award letter that tells me what price I'm going to pay about a week before I need to make my decision. And I don't know if that's always the schedule, but it's always late in the game. It's a tremendously yeah. long process. So they're not shopping like they could be shopping for other things in the market. So there needs to be a push to get institutions to be more transparent about what the pricing looks like so that we can actually empower consumers to, to, to whip this market into shape. Of course, uh, we need some oversight because of the fact that we've got tremendous government spending in this space as well.
2: Yeah, it seems like to me that it's almost like um, the health care system has become um, where people don't ask the cost anymore because there's a third party payment. Um, and even though it's a, it's a loan and, and it's, it's, you have to pay it back, but that's something I'll worry about after I graduate. So the, the government made yeah. the money available and people stopped caring about how much, ah whatever it is, we'll get a loan and don't worry about it. We'll pay for it and we'll worry about it later. And uh, so the colleges right. are free to just charge whatever they want.
4: Well, it's it's definitely right um, in in practice. In theory, it shouldn't be right because we've got people largely spending their own money because they're borrowing from their future wealth that they're going to have to pay back. But we do tend to see that people don't have a good sense of how much they're paying for college or how much they've borrowed, even when they're still in school and should be, you know, have these numbers at the top of mind. So. If it's the case that they don't have that information, um, it, it's definitely the case that they're perceiving these loans as a, a gift from the federal government. So they're confused about uh, about this transaction. We've told people over and over that a bachelor's degree is the pathway to the American dream. It's the golden ticket. You just go, go, go. I think it's done a disservice because it's pushed people away from being price sensitive in higher education. They feel like it's something that has, such a great return to them individually that they don't have to be careful. And then we've got institutions and a system of financial aid both at the federal and institution level that makes it very difficult to even know what the price is that they're paying. So there's a lot that we could get from just cleaning up the marketplace, making things more transparent, getting this earnings information out into the market uh, and, and letting people make better choices themselves. I think that's the first step. But then circling back to a comment you made earlier about the student debt, you know, I'm not a fan of the proposals to eliminate the outstanding debt, and that's primarily based on some of my earlier research, which really tries to, you know, understand what's happening in the student loan market, and I really think what the reality is is quite different from what most people perceive. So the popular media is often covering stories of people with hundreds of thousands of Dollars in debt. I think Wall Street Journal just covered a dentist with a, who managed somehow to amass a million dollars in student loan debt. Jeez. The reality is that those b- types of balances are absolutely incredibly rare and they're very often um, held by people who have very high earnings potential, like lawyers and um, people with MBAs and, and doctors. So, you know, the, the vast majority of people are facing. Monthly payments that are a very small share of their annual income or of their monthly income, excuse me. And we also have a really robust safety net that ensures that nobody needs to make a payment that's unaffordable um, by pegging what they owe to their income. And then after a fixed period of time, their debts are forgiven. So we've got these really generous programs in place. Nobody talks about them when they talk about these exorbitant balances. So I just think the situation's not nearly as dire as, as we're often told.
2: But do to those generous programs that you're talking about, are, are they what um, make the people who are running the institutions believe that they can charge whatever they want?
4: Well, there's definitely a problem um, in that at some point a student has borrowed so much, they anticipate that they'll never pay it back before they reach that point of forgiveness. And institutions are smart and savvy. They're well aware of that fact. And so they can say that they're well-intentioned and not setting prices with that in mind. It's sort of hard to believe that that's the case. So I definitely think that we have seen some of this upward creeping of prices as a result of the safety nets we've put in place for borrowers. Not to say there shouldn't be safety nets, but we have to be really careful about how they're designed to ensure that students are at least you know, you're going to have to face some of the, the cost for every additional dollar that they borrow and, you know, aren't are reaching a point at which they have basically a zero marginal cost for every additional piece of debt they take on.
2: So Beth, based on your experience and your research, uh, and we're talking to Beth Akers, who's written a book called Game of Loans, The Rhetoric and Reality of Student Debt, um, Based on everything that you've learned what would if if you were um, running for president, what would you be suggesting or what would you be telling your secretary of education to do about uh, the cost of college and mm-hmm. what to do about all the money that people are having to borrow i I, I, I put mm-hmm. it this way what would you say to people who say uh, as an alternative to the people who are demanding that college be free
4: mhm sure so you know, what we know from empirical studies over a long period of time is that students are having a consistent, positive financial return to spending on college degrees. So that means, you know, we're hearing a lot of stories about people who are having dire circumstances because of X, Y, and B happening. We know that the vast majority of people are actually still getting a good deal. We've got something like a 15% rate of return on associate's and bachelor's degrees. I mean, that's tremendous. If you get that in your portfolio, you should be pretty pretty excited about that. So these are, in one sense, a good deal. So what we need to do is tighten up the marketplace, remove the complexity from the financial aid systems that we have created which are making it challenging for people to be able to make these cost-benefit analysis, remove the system of um, several different loan types, make there be one federal student loan um, so that people know how much they're borrowing, Um, let's get institutions to have a standard format for telling students what their costs are going to look like so that we can get people to be a little bit more savvy about uh, what they're paying, um and let's see how far we can go with introducing more information into the marketplace um, and letting people uh, please the institutions uh, through through their spending also the, the other piece is that you know I think that right now we're we are basically have a system of federal accountability that looks at the inputs that college uses to teach students in order to decide where we spend federal dollars, so that's to say. You have accreditation, which means that your curriculum looks a certain way, your faculty looks a certain way, and we're sort of agnostic about what the ultimate outcomes are. And so um, there's a very, very low bar um, that says if your students are defaulting on their student loan debt at a very incredibly high rate, you ultimately get kicked out of a student lending program. But we need a lot more of that because that's what students care about. That's what's important to our economy. So I'd want to put in place an accountability system that shifts away from Just an acceptance of what traditional higher education should look like, and to a model that promotes innovation and really looks at outcomes as to whether. Um, an
2: institution is a place where we want to be spending federal tax dollars. Well, that makes way too much sense, Beth. I only have about a minute left, but I I just want to read the last line of your piece. It says, it's time that federal oversight of education stops protecting institutions who defend bad student outcomes with the flimsy notion that they are creating unmeasurable social value. Uh, I, I have a feeling from talking to you that there's a lot of that going around.
4: I think so, and again, I don't want people to think that I don't believe in the social value of education. I do, but I think first uh, and fundamentally, we need to protect the individual financial position of these students and help them to help themselves. That needs to come first.
2: Beth, uh, I appreciate you being on. Thank you very much.
4: Thank you so much.
2: Okay, we'll be right back. With SRN News, on Keith Peters in Washington. President Trump is threatening to close parts of the southern border next week unless Mexico's president does more to stop illegal crossing.
0: In a series of tweets, Mr. Trump calls on Congress to change what he calls our weak immigration laws. He goes on to say, if Mexico doesn't
2: immediately stop all illegal immigration coming into the United States through our southern border... I will be closing the border or large sections of the border next week. The tweets come just days after Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Kevin McAleenan said immigration enforcement had reached a breaking point. Correspondent Wally Hines reporting. Congress will receive a redacted version of Special Counsel Robert Mueller's report on the Russia investigation by mid-April, according to Attorney General William Barr. On Wall Street, did up by 211 points. The NASDAQ rose 60. The S&P advanced 19. This...
5: Is SRN News. When it comes to your pain, many of you might be skeptical, like I was, about ordering Relief Factor. Pat Boone again for this wonderful 100% drug-free supplement designed to help your own body lower or eliminate occasional aches and pains due to aging, exercise, everyday living. I'm not skeptical any longer. The three-week quick start is now discounted to only $19.95. Why don't you let us see if we can get you out of pain, too, at relieffactor.com.
3: Unplanned, based on a life-changing true story. My
4: name is Abby Johnson. I used to be the director of this clinic.
5: The Daily
3: Wire says Planned Parenthood is not going to like it.
5: America wants abortion, which is why we exist. Glenn Beck says
3: you have never seen anything like this.
5: You've managed to make an enemy of one of the most powerful organizations on the planet.
3: Unplanned. Now playing. Visit Unplanned.com for tickets. Rated R.
0: The Joe Walsh Radio Program.
5: There are times that I just don't recognize the country I live in. A second judge just said, we can't include a question on the
1: census asking if someone is even a gosh darn citizen
5: of this country. What country do I live in?
0: The Joe Walsh Radio Program. Weeknights at 9, right after Larry Elder at 7, on AM 1250, The Answer.
2: You're an insurance agent. You're also an entrepreneur looking to grow. And what better way to grow than by being your own boss? Owning your own Farmers Insurance agency has been called one of the best small business opportunities in America. With a nationally respected brand, award-winning training, and your personal experienced business coach, your opportunity to grow is unlimited. No franchise fees required. Visit beafarmersagent.com and start growing. We are
1: farmers. Bum, 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 bum. We have to understand that Haiti is a country that at best of times is in crisis.
2: Angel Aloma, Executive Director for Food for the Poor. Can you just give us kind of a summary of just how bad things are in Haiti right now? The doctors and the hospitals that we
1: support are telling us this could actually open up to the worst epidemic of cholera.
2: I'm John Stargerwald. Your business could be the answer to saving lives. Become a business benefactor with the answer today. Here's how it works. You make a $1,200 tax-deductible gift to Food for the Poor and we'll give you twelve. in free prime time advertising for your business this year. We don't get a dime, nada, zilch. It all goes to meet the need in Haiti. Food for the Poor, an organization that operates at 95% efficiency. Your tax-deductible gift will provide nearly four families food for a year and water for life. Imagine that. Call 412-937-1500, 412-937-1500, or give online at theanswerpgh.com. Offer ends March 31st.
3: Share,
0: like, comment, tweet. Are these foreign terms to your business? They may not be to your competition and the reason you're losing sales. We're Salem Surround. We take the mystery of digital marketing off your shoulders, letting you run your business while we deliver customers. We offer a free analysis of your digital marketing effectiveness and suggest methods that could dramatically increase your sales. Learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer.
3: Very busy all over the place for your Friday afternoon. Outbound 65 delays from Route 19 to the McKees-Rocks Bridge. Outbound 79 slows down Parkway North up to 910. And heavy on the outbound Parkway East from Boulevard of the Allies to Edgewood-Swissvale. A lot of volume on the inbound side as well. Outbound Parkway West slows down Parkway Center Drive to Roslyn Farms Road. And inbound from Montour Run Road to 60. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather.
4: Cloudy but mild for tonight, the low 52. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, breezy, and mild with a couple of showers and even a thunderstorm around for the afternoon. High 65 will turn much colder tomorrow night with periods of rain in the evening, ending as some wet snowflakes later on. The low 32. Burst get much colder Sunday with a few flurries. High 37 degrees. I'm meteorologist Danielle Middle on AM 1250,
0: The Answer. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250 the answer.
2: Mario Lemieux is looking forward to the team he owns getting into the playoffs and maybe making a long run, but he'll also be looking at another team in Allentown, PA tomorrow. Arizona State is playing Quinnipiac in the NCAA tournament. Number 16 for Arizona State is Austin Lemieux. That would be his only son. Austin got some national ink from the Washington Post. Eric Adelson wrote that story. He joins us now. Eric, thanks for being here. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I uh, I covered Mario Lemieux uh, his entire career, and he's the best player I have ever seen in any team sport ever, which uh, at least I, I would think makes him kind of a tough act to follow. Uh, how is Austin Lemieux handling that?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, by that definition, which I don't think a lot of people would disagree with, nobody can fill in for him, whether, the, there's, whether it's the Sun or anybody else. Everybody's in his shadow, right? And I, I, I think that he acknowledges that it's tough. And he said he told me he's like this. I don't know if I can fill his shoes, but he's also grateful that he has this kind of uh, uh, of, of tutor, this kind of mentor, and uh, this kind of dad. Uh, and and Mario Lemieux is, is very present for these games. He's uh, he, he comes to games and sort of stands in the shadows. Uh, doesn't you know? Definitely not a helicopter parent. Um, but you can see just talking to Austin and his teammates and his coaches that there's flashes now of of, of what Mario taught him. And, and, I, and I, I don't think anybody thinks that he'll be the next magnificent one. Nobody will, but he, he is really now growing into a very good player, and, uh, and, and one of his teammates says that, that there's a lot more there that, that you're going to be able to see soon.
2: Yeah, I, he's twenty-two years old, so it's not like he's an eighteen-year-old kid. But uh, it's so it's taken him a while to get to that point. Uh, so, what kind of a player is he? Is he a scoring? Uh, you know, he's he's a forward, I'm assuming, and he's a, is he a scorer?
0: Yeah. Okay. So that and you you covering hockey so long, you get this is that when you're sort of a taller, bigger player. Unlike a Sidney Crosby, yep. um, so sometimes it takes a little bit longer to sort of grow into your dimensions. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's what's happening uh, now. Uh, he, he's he's aggressive on the forecheck. Um, he's got speed. He's obviously got reach, You know, 6'3", 6'4". He's put a lot of weight on just in the last year, which wasn't there before. Uh, but the thing that I, I think uh, everybody and it stands out from people who watch him and and you can really appreciate that as somebody who watched Mario is the vision. He he is very um, he's he's very good at seeing where the puck's going to be. Yeah. Um, and if he can sort of put that with his growing frame, uh, you've got a very dangerous player, perhaps.
2: Wow. Well, the the, the great players: um, uh, Gretzky, Lemieux, uh, Crosby the great playmakers they uh the game starts about 30 seconds sooner for them than it does for everybody else because they it was uh, watching gretzky it was always amazing for me that he would go stand at a spot near the boards and somehow the puck would come to him i mean it wouldn't be from a pass he just knew that the puck was going to end up there so it's there's anticipation that they're born with so you're saying he has that kind of a, uh a uh, feel to him
0: yeah, the word I think is vision. That's yeah. the word coaches use and, and, and teammates use. And uh, I think it's hard to see in real time because uh, the, the the great ones like this, and I'm not saying he's in that category yet, but the great ones, they don't look like they're going that fast. Um, they're just sort of evaluating constantly and uh, very economical about their decisions. And that's something you can't teach, but it's something that Austin seems to have. Uh, and so it's only his first year of college hockey. Uh, and, and so we, I don't think we're seeing it yet, but, um, uh, but that if you go into your frame, um, and you get a little faster, you get a little stronger and you combine that with vision, um, you, you can, you can be a very, very good college hockey player. And, and they expect him to be.
2: And he is a center.
0: Uh, you, you a forward. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting and you will appreciate this too, is that, uh, Scott Niedermeyer's son has committed to the Arizona State, and Danny Briere's son has wow. committed to Arizona State. So you could have a line. They're forwards, so you could have a line of Lemieux, Niedermeyer, and Briere. Wow,
2: that's cool. That's interesting. Yep. That, and yep. uh, from what from your story, and we're talking to Eric Adelson of the Washington Post, who wrote a story on uh, Mario Lemieux's son, Austin. Um, it, it, from your story, uh, a, a hockey at Arizona State's not the biggest deal right now. They play in a a, a really small rink, and uh, they need to, they they can probably use that help you just mentioned there.
0: Yeah, it makes the igloo look uh, capacious. It's fits uh, less than a thousand people. Um, it's got these low ceilings. Uh, they, they play some of their hockey in 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 the Coyotes building, but for the most part, it's a little bit. It's, I mean, you 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 and I both use the term barn for hockey. I mean, this yeah. is probably as close as we get to a yeah. barn with low ceilings. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting story because it's only its fourth season as a, as a D one program. Uh, and then there were some games this year when they looked just terrible, and then there were some games that are like, well, you know what, maybe this is this is a, a growing power. And it's the same with Austin. I mean, they're. There are times when Austin looked out of sorts, and there's also times when he looked like he's ready to break out. Um, and he, he wanted it that way. He told me that he wanted to be at a place that was growing, that was going to be a lot better in, a, in short order. He, he didn't want to necessarily go to a BU uh, or a Michigan or a Minnesota. He wanted to go to a place that where, he, where he could have a legacy. Um, and, again, you know, who knows? It's going to be so interesting. Can they recruit consistently? Uh, or are they just going to get sons of NHL players to come out there and just <laughs> you know have have wide open ice for them? Uh, I don't know, but I'm I'm definitely interested in watching.
2: Um, yes. Yeah, so where where do the other players come from now? I mean, it is the desert out there. It's not where you would expect to find hockey players.
0: Right. Good question. So um, their, their star is a guy named Johnny Walker, which is an absolutely fantastic name, uh, <laughs> yeah. and he's one of the uh, he's he's a t- top two scorer in the nation um and he he his parents played but they moved uh and uh and so he grew up playing there wasn't a college hockey program but he said that as soon as they went d1 he was calling the coach like 24 hours a day saying you got to get me into this so you have some transplants you have some snowbirds um and 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 then you also have some some kids who grew up in the north um and and they have the traditional hockey background uh and then they want something different uh, you know a, a Joey DePort is is their goalie one of the better goalies in the country he's not on a Senators property uh and he could play anywhere um and he just wanted he wanted to play somewhere else so um you can't blame him i mean if you've gone through winters like you and i have uh yankees that we are you know you mm-hmm. can you can't blame him for wanting to be uh in in beautiful weather around beautiful people all the time right um but uh but they they are definitely recruiting nationally
2: but Austin Lemieux is going to the playoffs, though, isn't he? Arizona State. Not to the, I'm sorry, the tournament. Yep, first,
0: their first ever uh, D1 tournament game is tomorrow. It's in Allentown, uh, so that's exciting that they're back in Pennsylvania, or he's back in Pennsylvania. He have a lot of family around. Um, and, you know, it, it, they're independent. They don't have a conference. So their last game was March 2, and they just had to wait while everyone else played their conference tournaments. Uh, so they haven't played in three weeks. And so tomorrow they play Quinnipiac, and it could I mean it could be anything it could be they're fresh and then they just jump all over them or it could be that they're stale um, it, it, it's it's really a big question mark the entire really the entire tournament for them but also the next
2: year or two but but do you get the feeling that they're that they have a chance to be competitive I mean they're not in over their heads.
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it, it's inconsistent. They played the last two games against Minnesota, which is a traditional power, and they, they just got whitewashed. But they were 12 and 2 at home this year. So this is the first year where people, I think, took them really seriously as a national, uh, not a national power, but a national presence. And I, I think that there's, um, I, I think the momentum is definitely there. The question, I think, is depth. Can they, can they roll three or four lines the way great programs do? Or are they just going to have a smattering of stars that, that uh, you know shoot the lights out occasionally, but don't be don't win consistently? Yeah. That's I think the big question.
2: So, uh, but if people are looking for Mario Lemieux this weekend, is a good chance he's going to be in Allentown is What you're saying?
0: I think it's very likely
2: <laughs> that he'll be there. Yeah, um, and you know what? Just to finish up here, what what just from what you've seen? I don't know how what your experience is with hockey, but from what you've seen, is this it, it, would or would you or, or other people are. Uh, referring to this kid as a prospect yet?
0: Um, that's a good question. Um, I think it depends on how fast he develops. I mean, like you said, he's 22 years old. Yeah. And a lot of these guys, I mean, he's he, he, in terms of getting in the NHL, you know, some of them are 16, 17. I mean, right. you remember how young Sid was. Sid was, Sid was basically there for the NHL at 14 or 15. Yeah. Um, so it's really a question of can he. How quickly can he get to that top level? Can he get to his potential? Um, and and that's that's a, that depends a lot on can he combine sort of his his strength and his vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that there's I think he's definitely got a chance because there's going to be a lot of eyes. I mean, especially if you have these you know the Niedermeyers, the Briers, if they go deep into the tournament, there's going to be more people watching them. I think this is the first national story about him at, at Arizona State. So. There will be attention for sure uh, the, the question is you know can can he put it all together uh at, 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 at a still young age
2: yeah you got him some ink in the Washington post last question uh what number does he wear 16, uh, 16.
0: I, I, I should have asked you know I should have asked why he didn't wear 66 but I, I have a feeling he didn't he doesn't want to be Mario's son just Mario's son so um I I, I think you know again not to answer for him it was a good question that I should have asked but Uh, I think he wants to sort of borrow a little bit from that and do something else. So I think that's a perfect number. It
2: was a smart move. Got the six in there. Hey, Eric, thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
5: Okay, we'll be right back following statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. Amberin trials tested mild to moderate symptoms. Testimonial is based on 90 days of use. Results may vary. Nielsen XAOC 52 weeks dollar sales.
4: Hot flashes, night sweats, low energy. I had all those menopause symptoms. Hi, I'm Mary Lou Retton. As an athlete and winner of gold back in 1984, I've always cared about what I put in my body. That's why for menopause relief, I choose Amberin. Amberin safely relieves 12 menopause symptoms by helping to restore your hormonal balance. Amberin is 100% drug-free. And estrogen free. Amberin is America's number one menopause relief supplement in dollar sales. I like the fact that Amberin is clinically tested, safe, and effective. Thanks to Amberin, my fear of hot flashes is gone. My sheets aren't soaked every night,
3: and my energy is back. Give Amberin a try and see what it can do for you. It works, it really works. Hurry to your Walmart, Walgreens, Target, and other
4: fine retailers nationwide and get Amber in today.
1: For $320, we can feed a family of four for a year and give them clean water for life. I'm
2: John Steigerwald, and your business could be the answer to saving lives. When we build a well in a village, if the pump breaks, the community leader will call food for the poor and we replace that
1: pump. If that well runs dry, they call food for the poor, we come out and we redig a well. We
2: don't just leave it and then they have to worry about everything we actually maintain it for life. Become a business benefactor with the answer today. Make a $1,200 tax-deductible gift to Food for the Poor and we'll give you $1,200 in free prime time advertising for your business this year. We don't get a dime of the money. 100% goes to Food for the Poor to meet this immediate need. Your gift will feed nearly four families for a year and provide water for life. Imagine that, food for a year and water for life, all because of you. Call 412-937-1500, 412-937-1500. 9371500 online at the answer pgh.com offer ends march 31st
5: are you about to pay double for roof replacement or repair if you haven't called windows or us you just might Thousand dollars Windows R Us will match any competitor's price. No hidden fees or surprises ever. Schedule a free roof inspection today. Mention AM 1250 for an exclusive 10% off. Why pay double? Visit the area's premier exterior replacement company Windows R Us, more than a window company. Visit pittsburgh.com
2: Obamacare, Trump Care. This is the John stocker Show on AM
0: 1250 and FM 92.5,
2: The Answer. Well, there's something new and special I want to talk to you about right now. It's called Food for the Poor. And here at AM 1250, The Answer, we're looking for your help to raise money for food for the people of Haiti. A little while ago, I spoke with Angel Aloma. He's the executive director for Food for the Poor. Angel, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So, uh, before we get into what exactly it is uh, you guys are doing, food for the poor. Um, can you just give us kind of a, um, a summary of just how bad things are in Haiti right now?
1: Well, um, uh, just yesterday, um, the prime minister was kicked out of office by the by the Congress. So we don't know what's going to happen again, but this is not a good thing. And uh, basically. Um, there has been a lack of clean water, a lack of food, a lack of money in general, and uh, the doctors and the hospitals that we support are telling us this could actually open up to the worst um, epidemic of, uh, of um, cholera and also of, of malnutrition, that they're seeing a lot of malnutrition coming in. Um, we have to understand that Haiti is a country that, at best of times, is in crisis. I mean, um, as much as eighty percent of the country is unemployed or underemployed, the large part of the population lives under two dollars a day, which means that they are um, that that's what's defined as extreme poverty so people are are already living in this type of squalor, and then all of a sudden this happens now, and the protests and the tire burning and so forth and what happens is that it's uh, all the downtown closed down some of it was looted and so basically food is completely short water is completely short and once they start drinking that contaminated water it's really troublesome particularly for the children whose immune system is already compromised
2: how hard is it for you to get the the food from here to there
1: that's not a problem for us at all we have partners everywhere um taiwan gives us food for free where we basically pay for the shipping um we buy food from guyana which is also not too far out so we can get it there within no time
2: and um what kinds of food are you delivering what what works because i mean if you don't have refrigeration uh you don't have water how are they able to make it the food even potable
1: well, basically, rice and beans is, is the main diet of the poor um, because rice is a great carb and the beans are a great protein. So the combination of the two actually have saved a lot of children's lives all over the world. And uh, so that's what we send down. It's dry food. It doesn't spoil at all easily. We also send down whatever we can, but we're also building water
2: projects down there so that they can have clean water. So uh, let's uh, run down what uh, people's money can get uh, if for, pe- if pe- for people who uh, choose to contribute, what that money, how much money uh, is needed and what each uh, uh, payment can go for.
1: Well, for $320, we can feed a family of four for a year and give them clean water for life. What do we mean by clean water for life? When we build a well in a village um, uh, that say have a thousand people, um, uh, we, if that well, if the, if the pump breaks, they call, the community leader will call food for the poor and we replace that pump. If that well runs dry, they call food for the poor. We come out and we redig a well somewhere nearby to the village again that has water. So when we do a well, we don't just leave it and then they have to worry about everything. We actually maintain it for life.
2: And uh, five hundred for a family of six. I see here a thousand dollars for twelve people. That's feed twelve people for a year.
1: Um, uh, actually, yes. Wow. And water for life.
2: That's a, So you're and and this is a charity food for the poor, where people can be confident that the money they give is is not going to be wasted. It's going directly to the people who need it.
1: Absolutely, John. Um, uh, we have uh, over ninety four percent. Um, Of all donations, including the value of our in-kind gifts, goes directly to programs that help the poor.
2: And here's a special offer for you if you're a business owner. If you donate $1,200 to Food for the Poor, AM 1250, the answer will give you $1,200 worth of advertising. No cost to you. We'll write and produce the commercials at no cost to you. Here's the number to call, 412-937-1500. That's 412-937-1500. And uh, we've had a successful week uh, raising money for Food for the Poor. One of the uh, sponsors, Luciano's Brick Oven, uh, took took us up on the offer of $1,200 in free advertising for making a $1,200 contribution. And I'm told we have at least four other sponsors willing to do the same thing. And you'll be hearing their commercials here on AM 1250, uh, The Answer. So I hope you uh, support them uh, because the money they, the money that, the commercials you hear, the money that was raised is not going to AM 1250, The Answer. It's going to Haiti. And you heard the details on how much. Uh, food can be provided for how many people for uh, not very much money. So $1,200 goes a long, long way. And uh, we thank everybody for the amount of money that was raised, and thanks for uh, contributing. Got about a minute left here. Um, opening day is on Monday. I got in a Twitter battle today because I heard the guys on the uh, on the sports all-sports station talking about how they still love to go to the games and everybody should go and people shouldn't stay away and try to penalize the nuttings and I made a comment that it's what keeps the bad ownership in business. And everybody, the the opener should have 12,000 people there. I hope it's not sold out. At some point, you would hope that the uh, message would be sent. Opening day used to be one of my favorite days of the year, but Major League Baseball is dead to me now because of how stupid the uh, economics are and what it's done to the Pirates. So, um, you know, opening day is supposed to be a lot of fun, and it will be. And if you want to go, go ahead and have a good time. But just understand that uh, every every time you plunk a dollar down to buy a pirate's ticket, you perpetuate the issue and keep the nuttings laughing all the way to the bank. I'm laughing all the way home because it's Friday, and I'll see you on Monday. Thanks, to Aaron, uh, for another good week of uh, Aaron Burn. Another good week of producing. We'll see you on Monday. Bye. The John Wall Show
0: is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group.